If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 16. We're going to be in verses 23 and 24. And uh, we're going to be talking about why your prayer life stinks. Why does your prayer life stink? And, and the reality is, every one of us, if we were honest, for the most part, would say, yeah, you got me. My prayer life is not what I want it to be. Uh, we, we've had maybe some seasons where we, we have some, some robust seasons of prayer or, or, or you know maybe moments. But on the whole, I think as Christians in our culture, we struggle to cultivate a healthy and robust deep life of prayer. So I want to talk to you uh, today about why that is and uh, more importantly, how to fix it. Because uh, I think Jesus wants to help us uh, in this this week. Uh, so a lot of you know this past week, Laura and I went to St. Augustine for our anniversary. And uh, while we were in St. Augustine, we saw all the historic, you know, buildings and all the different things that were there. And, and, and all these things, Laura, uh, one of her love languages is selfies. So she's like... Uh, everywhere we go, she wants to take a selfie. And so we take a picture, um, and then we look at the picture, and then we take another picture. Uh, because the first, you know, because every time, you, I don't know if you know this, you take a selfie, and it makes you look three times as wide as you think you look uh, in real life. I don't know what happens with that. I don't know if it's the, the you know, the, the, the camera on the front of face of my phone or what it is. But, but w- w- you, you take the picture again, because you need to get the right perspective to give that, you know, sense of what you really look like. Um, well, I think to, to kind of connect connect that, I, I think part of the reason our prayer lives struggle is because we don't have the right perspective. We're we're praying with a distorted vision of things. We're 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 praying the the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and our perspective, you know, makes us look like, you know, like some of those selfies that we took where, uh, you know, we would never want anyone in the world to ever see that picture because, you know, maybe it's what we actually look like, but it's not what we think we look like. And we don't want anyone else to think that either. Uh, you know, in, in, in this anniversary trip, you know, we talked a lot and got a lot of time together because, as you know, it's a cliche because it's true. The key to any healthy relationship is communication. Communication, being able to connect with another person and share, you know, back and forth the the things that are actually happening in your heart and in your mind. Um, And the key to a healthy spiritual life is is really not that much different. A key to a healthy spiritual life is, is not so much communication, but communion. Usually when, I, when we say the word communion, what you think is the little cracker and juice at the end of the service. We, here we do that each week at the end of the sermon. We, we sit at the Lord's table together and we, we, we remi- are reminded of Jesus' death for us and his blood shed for us. Um, and that is definitely a huge part of communion. But communion is actually more than just the, the, the wafer and the juice. Communion is the ongoing connection we have with God in Christ by the Spirit. And uh, in, the, in the verses we're, we're going to pull up here, um, we're going to see Jesus give us three ways to refresh our communion with God and to kind of unstink up our prayer lives. Um, so if it's okay with you, we're going to get going, all right? 
Preachers say that. They're planning to do what they're going to do anyway. So just nod your head and say, yes, let's go. All right. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Let's just take a moment and ask for God's spirit to, to help us. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, would you meet us in such a way um, that you, you refresh our communion with you, our, our connection with you, our communication with you in prayer. Help us to, to, to see you clearly, to see your world clearly, to see your purpose clearly. Help us now through your word, by your spirit. If there's anything I've prepared to say that I shouldn't say, would you edit it out? And if there's anything I need to say, would you add it in if it's not already here in Jesus' name? Amen. Number one, create a two-day calendar. Create a two-day calendar. Look, look back at verse 23. In that day. Now, maybe, maybe you have read enough of the Old Testament to know that, that when the Scripture talks about that day, that is using what theologians call eschatological language, last times, end of times, last things language. Throughout the Old Testament prophets, the word of the Lord comes to the prophets, and they prophesy about the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, the day when God will bring judgment on his enemies and bring salvation for his chosen people. That day is, is the day of reckoning for the enemies of God and the day of redemption for the people of God. So when Jesus says, in that day, he's not just talking about like some random day in the future, in that day. He's talking about a specific day, the day when God will consummate the kingdom, when God will finish what he started, where God will fulfill the purposes that he put into the world from the very beginning. Now, now this, this section says create a two-day, move that over there, okay, create a two-day calendar, and here's why. Because I think Martin Luther um, said it best. He's attributed to have said that he had two days on his calendar, this day and that day. And here's the thing. If you have this day and you're prepared for this day, let worry about today. That's what Jesus says. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough trouble for tomorrow, tomorrow. Worry about today, today. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. If you worry about this day and then you worry about that day, you know what happens? Every other day in between is included. And your perspective is aligned with reality and with the purposes of God in the long term. Create a two-day calendar, meaning um, live your life in light of what God promises to do. Now, I actually thought about doing this whole sermon, like a sermon on like doctrine of last things or what theologians, like I said, call eschatology because the word eschatos in Greek means last or end. 
and ologies, the study of. So the study of last things, put big words together so we sound smart, but it really just means the study of the stuff that happens at the end. And people get all twisted up and geeked out over all this stuff. And maybe that these words don't mean anything to you. And if so, that's fine. But there's premillennialism and there's dispensational premillennialism. Then there's amillennialism and postmillennialism. There's all these ways of viewing the rapture. Is there not a rapture? Is it pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or mid-tribulation? All of these things. People get all twisted up and turned around and they miss the point of the way Jesus and the scripture talk about the last things. It's not to confuse us or to give us things to debate about. It's to give us perspective. When we live our lives in light of that day, then the things that happen this day and all the days between now and then begin to make more sense. Um, With that said, I'm going to give you five things, just rapid fire. We don't have time to go into these. And um, just, just five things we should all agree on as it regards that day based on the scripture. I don't have them on the screen. If you want to write them down, that's fine. If not... Um, I can send you. I can send you a copy of this or whatever. Uh, we should agree the kingdom has been inaugurated. Jesus came and he said, "The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." That when Jesus was incarnated, or when God the Son became a human being, that He brought the kingdom with Him because He is the King, and that when He was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, the end times began. The last days started on the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Everyone agrees that Jesus will return. That's the second thing. The kingdom has been inaugurated. Secondly, Jesus will return. Everyone agrees that God will raise all humanity, those in Christ to everlasting life and those outside of Christ to everlasting judgment. Number four, we believe there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning for those who have not turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. There will be a day of judgment. And then finally, everyone agrees there will be the restoration of creation. That God is not just going to have us floating around up in like the stratosphere, but he is going to make a new heavens and new earth. When we understand that God has a purpose in the world that is long-term, that he's been working on this whole time, and we live our lives in light of this day, in light of that day, then our prayer life begins to have a little bit more sense to it. Because we're not just praying about Aunt Peggy's sprained toe. I mean, Aunt Peggy is probably very nice, and her toe is probably really hurting. And yeah, we should pray about everything. Yes. But too often our, uh, our prayer lists look like, <laughs> look like a checklist that we need to take to our doctor. And, and physical health matters. But, but when we live our lives and pray in light of that day, in light of what God is doing, we realize there's a whole lot of things that have eternal importance and urgency that we should be bringing to the Lord and that our time may be short. Number two, ask away. Look what he says there at the end of verse 23 into 24. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until, you have asked, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Um, whenever we pray as a family, 
um, we, we always pray, Father, in Jesus' name, by your Spirit. Because we ask things in Jesus' name, by the Spirit. Now, these are not magic words like, God, give me a Tesla in Jesus' name. Like, like, they're not magic words. This doesn't mean that you're just saying the words like some sort of magic formula. It means that you're praying according to the character and purpose of who Jesus is and what Jesus wants in the world. That, that the person of Christ and the purpose of Christ have so shaped our heart and our desires that we're asking for things that he wants to give us. We're asking the Father for things in Christ by the Spirit that he delights to give us because he is a good Father from whom every good and perfect good gift comes, in whom there is no shadow due to change. James 4.1 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Some, some, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I was raised in a tradition where sometimes you were almost afraid to ask God for things. You're like, God, if it's your will. Well, I mean, of course, if it's your will, but also like, Lord, I'm on my knees asking for this thing. James says you do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, when you do ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your sinful desires, on your passions, on your lusts. So ask away, but ask the Father in the name of Jesus. This means you got to be tuned in to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants. When you ask God for things that God wants to do, God answers those prayers with a yes. Now, one of the, one of the, the phrases that I can't stand, and this is just a little pet peeve of mine, is the phrase, unanswered prayers. Because God does not ever leave a prayer unanswered. His prayer, his answer, he always answers. It's either he answers yes, he answers no, or he says wait. Jesus says, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give you those things. D.A. Carson, the, the biblical scholar, says that up to this point, they had asked, not asked the Father for things in Jesus' name, because that was a privilege that belonged to the new order. In other words, they couldn't ask in Jesus' name until Jesus had been crucified for their sin, buried, and raised from the dead. And then in union with Christ, they can ask the Father. Jesus, remember, how, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father. Now, what was radical is that Jesus prayed to the Father as his Father. That, that would have been uh, pretty shocking for, for an ancient Jewish person to hear. To, to hear Jesus prayed to the Father in such familiar terms. You know, they, 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 many Jewish people, they wouldn't even speak the name of God, Yahweh. They, 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 we actually don't know exactly how it's pronounced. Some people, you know, if you've read an old King James, it says Jehovah, and others say Yahweh, because the pronunciation was lost because uh, the Jewish people stopped saying it out of reverence. So Jesus comes into town um, with this crazy and shocking intimacy saying, Abba, Father, my Father. And he prays to God like we would ask our dad for something. And then he says, you will pray this way. 
And you will pray this way because you will be united to me by grace, through faith, by the Spirit, so that your relation, my relationship with the Father becomes your relationship with the Father, so that the intimacy I have with the Father, you have with the Father, that the words that the Father speaks over me, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased, are now the words he speaks over you, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. You have no one to impress, you have nothing to prove, you have nothing to lose, and you can ask away. Maybe your prayer life stinks because you're too afraid to really go to the throne. Grab on, you know, in the Old Testament, they grab on to, to, to the mercy seat, grab on to the, grab on to the throne, and they would just ask away. Finally, number three, throw away your leaky joy buckets. Um, look here at verse 24, so that your joy may be complete. Jesus' purpose in our communion with him, in our prayer life, is not just to give us another task to do. It's to fill us full with joy. The, the word here for complete is, is the word, it's, it, it, it can mean like filled to the point of overflowing. So that your joy may be complete. You know, God is in, is in the business of giving his people a life of joy. Now remember, this is ultimately eschatological, meaning it's a, it's a reality that we don't experience in full now. It's a that day fulfillment, but yet we can experience it in a measure here and now. The problem is we use buckets to try to fill our lives with joy that leak like the sand toys my kids have. You know, you get those little toy bucket packets where it's like plastic bucket and some little plastic shovels and, you know, you put sand in it. It's got the little castle thing at the bottom, right? So when you flip it over, it looks like a little sand castle. And inevitably, those things last for about four and a half minutes before they crack, right? Then you try to fill them with water and it's just like, it's just gushing out. If union with Christ, union with God in Christ is the bucket, the, the way God designed us to live, and, and, and communion with him, intimacy with him is the water that's meant to fill that bucket, too often we're using broken buckets and trying to fill them with things that wouldn't satisfy us even if the bucket's held. We're using leaky joy buckets. We're using buckets that will not hold up over the long term. We, we look to ourself to find joy, to have our joy complete. We look, you know, we, we look to other people. We, we look to the relationships God has given us. Even the most intimate relationships on earth, even the most meaningful and life-giving relationships on earth cannot bear the weight of an eternal being who was designed for an eternal creator. And if you're looking to anyone other than the Lord, it, that joy bucket will crack and leak sooner or later. We look to, to our toys. We talk about the killer bees, right? birthday parties, ball games, brunches, and boats. We talk about the way people look for life outside of God. 
We look for experiences. We think if we can travel enough, if we can accomplish enough, if we can get enough done, if we can build a, a good enough career, if we, if we can accomplish these things and say, look, look what I've done. And those things can be career. Those things can be family. Look at the family I built. The problem is all of these things are in creation, and we were meant for the creator. Thomas Aquinas said this. Now, this is a little theological, a little, it's a little thick, but, but we're going to just go slow, okay? Because when you understand, it's really, really good. Um, one's joy is proportionate to the good possessed. What's he saying? He's saying the better something is, the more happy you are, right? Okay. Makes sense. Okay. There cannot be full joy in a created good, meaning anything that's created cannot make you fully happy, cannot bring full joy. Why? Because it does not give complete rest to man's desires and yearnings. Because man was not created for created goods, for things in this world to ultimately satisfy him or her. Our joy will be full when we possess that good in which all the goods we can desire are found super abundantly. Now, that, that, that's a lot, but what's he saying? He's saying every good thing in this world is only good insofar as it somehow reflects the goodness of God super abundant. What's that mean? Like overflowing good. This good is solely God. Therefore, he says, this is a, from his commentary on John 16. Therefore, he says, ask this that your joy may be full. That is, ask to enjoy God. I don't know how, how often you think about things in that way. When was the last time you asked God, help me enjoy you? Help me to enjoy you. Help me to enjoy you. The greatest good, the good in which all other goods are found super abundantly, all the goods of this world, the best things in this world are reflections of the great good who is God himself. So why does, why does your prayer life stink? Well, maybe you're praying with that wrong perspective. You need to, to, to create a two-day calendar. Maybe you, maybe you just, you've kind of gotten in the, the, the place where you just kind of are like hemming and hawing. You're not just coming right out and saying, Lord, I need you to do this by your grace for your glory, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, please. Maybe you are trying to fill your bucket with things that will leak out or with a bucket that won't hold the joy you're looking for. Uh, Laura and I found out this week that uh, a guy, not, not like a, a close friend, but a guy we knew in the city, um, we'd, we'd, you know, his kid had been on a couple of the teams that I'd coached, and uh, he wasn't that much older than me. And uh, apparently, uh, they found out a couple of months ago that he had an aggressive form of cancer. And while we were in St. Augustine, she got a text from a friend and said, hey, did you know this person? You know, and Laura says, oh, yeah, a little bit. We're not, like, great friends. But he said, um, he, he died today. I mean, that's just like a, it's like I saw him at soccer, like, three, like th three months ago. 
and he was coaching on the sideline. And there's a, an article I read this week. Um, this guy was uh, flying with his wife, and uh, there was a really bad turbulence, and an engine went out in the plane. And it's like, and, and they're freaking out. People are like, you know, they're just, as you would think, right? They're panicking. It's like, you, and you know when the flight attendants seem stressed, that that's when you worry, right? And so they're, they're like, you know, the, the, the plane's making all this noise. They're going to have to, they, they announce they're going to have to prepare for a crash landing. And uh, the guy, this guy's a believer, a, a, he's a pastor, I think, in Washington State. And he just says, this is the moment. And he, he says, friends, the God who made you, who you have rebelled against, wants a relationship with you found in his son, Jesus Christ. If you will turn from your sin and trust in him, he will forgive your sin and give you eternal life. Well, that's how I would say it. I don't know exactly how he said it. And he said, people were just like, he said, no one laughed. No one made fun of him. No one rolled their eyes because everyone was worried this could be it. Then he said, out of nowhere, below them, the runway appeared, and they landed, and everyone clapped, and it was like, yes, we made it. And he found out later from, like, a pilot friend, he's like, actually, you weren't really in any big danger. Like, you know, um, you, planes can fly on one engine. And he's like, well, that would have been nice to know before. <laughs> he said, what was strange, though, is that all, all, the, all these folks who had just been convinced that they were going to die were like, whew. And they got their phones out. They started playing Candy Crush. And they started finishing, they, they finished the show they were watching on Netflix. We were designed to enjoy a good that's super is super abundantly beyond any good of this world. Maybe your prayer life stinks. Maybe your communion with God stinks because your life is just full of, of too many other things. Um, I want to give you three practical things that, that just to give you an idea of how you might want to put this into practice. So what now? So what now? Um, now these are just ideas, very specific things that you could do. And you, don't, you can do them, you don't do them. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. I just want to give you ideas of how you could put this into practice. Uh, set yourself a daily reminder that simply says, I will die. And it's like, well, that's morbid. Well, yeah, it's morbid, but it's also true. And you don't know when that's going to happen. Live your life with that two-day calendar. I have this day and I have that day, and there are no other days that are guaranteed. I will die. And I don't know when. I don't know how. But I will die. It will give you tremendous perspective. And you know what else it will do? It will give a tremendous urgency to your prayer life. So just like set a reminder. Hey, Siri, remind me every day at 9 a.m. I will die, comma, maybe today. Siri goes, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Number two, pray Psalm 34, 8. Here, here, the, if I can like, just like, one thing that will change your prayer life permanently is to pray scripture. Don't just pray your own made up like, oh, Father, I just need you to, man, just, Father, just, um. Pray scripture. Just like a line, like a bullet. Fire it into the heart of heaven and say, Lord, help me to taste and see that you are good. 
Just pray that prayer. Pray it every day. Set a reminder. Siri, remind me every day at 3.48 p.m. Why? 3.48. Lord, help me to taste and see that you're good. And you know what happens when you pray tiny prayers over and over and over? A big God hears them and stuff happens. Number three. Number three. Sit with God for three minutes every day. Some of you are like, three minutes. What kind of unsanctified garbage is that? I'm like, well, the reality is it's probably three minutes longer than many of us sit with God most days. I'm talking about just sitting there in silence. Read your Bible, of course, pray, but sit there with the Lord in quiet and say, Lord, I'm here. Your servant is listening. Not like some sort of weird, like new agey thing, but just sit in the quiet place. Three minutes feels, I guarantee you, it feels like forever if you're not used to doing it. Here's how I know, because we're going to do right now, I'm gonna, we're going to sit for 60 seconds, just quiet. All right? This is like not good, like, Planning a service. 60 seconds of dead silence. They don't teach you that in seminary, but we're going to do it anyway. And I'm going to use my timer, and we're going to sit, all right? Set a timer for 60 seconds. I felt like forever, didn't it? 60 seconds. 60 seconds of quiet. Sit with God for three minutes every day. Just some ideas. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, I pray you would teach us again how to pray, to fill our joy bucket of union with Christ, with the presence of of Christ, and and that we would create that two-day calendar, that we would ask for things that we need, um, even things that we want, sanctify our desires. They would remind us life is short, eternity is long. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never trusted in Christ, turn from their sin and trusted in Christ for forgiveness. I pray they would do that before they leave, that we would be about the urgency of your kingdom's business, to sit with you in quiet and from there go out and refuse to be quiet. In Jesus' name, amen.